as we complete our three-part series on giving entitled, Are You Rich uh, Toward God? And we look to Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, the ninth chapter. You may remember he begins to talk to them about this special offering for the Jerusalem church, the mother church that's in need. He begins to talk to them about that offering in 2 Corinthians 8 and proceeds all the way through the ninth chapter as well to talk about giving and to give the church all kinds of good teaching uh, on this. We're going to look at uh, verses 6 through 15, and we have those words printed for you on your bulletin. Let's read the Word of God together. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. ever been around small children, whether they were your own or your nieces or nephews or uh, children you babysat or whatever, uh, you have probably picked up on the scene that I'm about to describe. Uh, The oldest has a favorite toy. Uh, Maybe it's a, a race car or a special fire truck, and he plays with that truck almost all the time, except he manages to get distracted and he leaves uh, that special truck and, and goes and, and pays attention to something else for a minute. And the smaller sibling comes along and picks up that special fire truck. But right when they pick it up, this eagle-eyed older brother swoops in and, and in a, a voice that you can hear halfway down the street says, That's mine! And jerks it out of their hand. Now, in our house, one of our rules we have is if 
put a toy down, it's free game. And anybody can pick it up and play with it, even Papa. And uh, when the older brother snatches it out of the younger one's hand, then the adults around begin to weigh in with the words, you put it down, you know, he or she can have it, give it back to him. And you would think those words, give it back to him, you're asking that child to just snatch their own heart out of their body. I mean, they just do not want to do that at all this kind of scene that we see played out so often proves to us or should that we don't come from the womb as cheerful givers. And not only that, but the scene we've described is a a great illustration of giving grudgingly. And we need to think about that a moment because uh, that's what Paul is talking about in the verse that leads up to the passage that we just read. In verse 5, in the previous paragraph, he's continuing to talk about this special offering that they'll receive for the Jerusalem church. And he tells the church at Corinth how he's sending some people to receive this offering from their congregation. And in verse 5, right before our passage, he says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance, and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And then Paul proceeds with our text when he says the point is this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, our text begins a new paragraph in our English Bibles. That's easy to see. Uh, But Paul is connecting verse 6 back to verse 5 through the use of the Greek word eulogia. Uh, that's translated as generous in verse 5 and as bountifully in verse 6. That's the same word from which our word eulogy comes, which can mean praise, but it can also mean blessings. And this is what Paul is talking about. In other words, as he uses this principle, this spiritual principle of you reap what you sow in verse 6, he's basically saying, that if you bless others, you yourselves will be blessed. And I think he probably has Proverbs 11 in mind, where you can read, The man who waters will himself be watered. I mean, I can't prove that. But Paul has, you know, a lot of the wisdom literature in his brain as he's writing uh, these kinds of letters to these churches. see, the New Testament never shies away from the reward aspect. His point is not how much any of us gives, but that we give freely, realizing that as we bless others, we too will be blessed. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean monetarily. There are all kinds of blessings that God chooses to give. 
They could be physical blessings. They could be monetary blessings. They could be spiritual blessings. All kinds of blessings. And he's really brilliant in using this farming metaphor. He has a a scriptural reason for this, which we'll talk about a little later, but he also has a practical reason that we'll mention now, which is that his audience was in an agrarian economy and society. They understood this. They saw people, you know, throwing out seeds in fields all of the time, and you and I understand it too. You know, Walter, he always has a big garden. And and Walter knows that if you're going to have enough summer sweet corn, you know, you can't just throw five or ten seeds in the ground. You've got to use a lot of seed corn to have enough rows to cross-pollinate and all that kind of stuff. Or if you're going to plant potatoes, you know, you cut that out with a little eye in it and you put all those uh, pieces of potato in the ground so that you'll have 20 or 30 bushels or however many uh, you're hoping to have. It's interesting to me that John Calvin has this to say in his commentary. What leaves our hand goes to someone else and seems to decrease what we have. But the season of harvest will come. Because giving to those in need is like sowing seed. For as the Lord reckons everything that is laid out upon the poor as given to himself, so he afterwards requites it. Now that's how Calvin talks. He pays it back with large interest. And then Calvin quotes Proverbs 19.17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. So Paul's goal here is to make clear why the gifts from the Corinthians must be an expression of blessing rather than gifts that are pulled, kicking and screaming out of greedy hands, holding on for dear life until finally they give way due to the threat of God's judgment. In short, giving must be generous and joyful. Because as one scholar put it, only such giving is an expression of faith in God as the one who provides the gracious means to being righteous. See, now I think we're finally getting into what it means to be rich toward God. And this means that giving that pleases God is not done out of duty. In other words, if you ever give to the church, if you ever give to the poor, if you ever give to some cause in need, and and it's like, well, I'm doing this because, you know, I'm supposed to. I should do this. Well, that money can do some good, but but that kind of giving does not please God because He loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. A joyful giver. Nor is it a response of gratitude. You know, giving because God has first given us. Now, sometimes we talk about it that way in the church. I've probably even said that in the past. We can talk that way when we're talking about love. We love because God first loved us in Christ. But you hardly ever see giving and gratitude joined together in Scripture. And that's not what Paul is teaching in this passage. 
what he's telling you and me in this passage is that we give because of faith. Faith. And we can see that very clearly in verse 8 where we read, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you see what he's saying? God is able. Now, either you and I believe that or we don't. That's why it's a matter of faith. Our giving is tied to faith just like our salvation is tied to faith. You remember what Paul says about Abraham in Romans 4. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, that's what Paul's saying about Abraham. But notice what Abraham was. He was fully convinced that God was able. And so Paul is saying the same thing right here. God is able to make all grace abound to you. And so, you know, you and I have to decide whether we really believe that or not. Do we really trust Him to be able to make all grace abound? That we can abound in every good work. As one person put it, giving to others is simply what trusting in God's promises looks like. You want to see an illustration of trusting in God's promises? It's giving money away. Now, early in the sermon, I said Paul had a scriptural reason for using his farming analogy, and we come to that now in verse 10, when he alludes to Isaiah 55.10 and Hosea 10.12. In verse 9, he had quoted a psalm. And now he's alluding to these two prophetic passages when he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Obviously, as Paul is writing this letter, he already had these two passages in mind, which probably made him use that spiritual principle. You reap what you sow back in verse 6. And this is important for several reasons. One is that because of the context of these verses in these prophets, Isaiah 55, Hosea 10, it's easy to see and maintain that Paul is not simply uh, proclaiming proclaiming what we call today the prosperity gospel in this passage. You can't take this teaching in 2 Corinthians and honestly say that if you give money to God's kingdom, then God's going to restore it to you. And He's going to do more than that. He's just going to bless you and keep giving you more and more money. Uh, We can't say that. That's not what is being taught because the context of both Isaiah 55 and Hosea 10 is the provision of God's Word. That's what the seed is, just like in the parable of the sower that Jesus talks about. What is the seed? It's the Word of God. That's what Jesus explains to His disciples. The seed is the Word of God that falls on good ground, and some of it falls on hard ground, and some of it falls somewhere else. In these prophetic passages, they're talking about God's Word, which brings about the final redemption of His people. 
And this is another reason this is so important. Because you see, all of a sudden we've moved from the material, as Paul's talking about money, to the spiritual. As one scholar put it, God's promise in verse 10 is not to make His people rich, but to use them as instruments of His presence for the salvation of others. And what this means is something that maybe you and I think about every great now and then, but that we should think about more often, and that is that with the monetary gifts we give, God is able to do far more, spiritually speaking, than we ever think or imagine. The fact that people are being saved, or the fact that people are being trained in scriptural principles and then are able to go out and make a difference uh, where they live. All of this brings glory to God. And I'll give you one such example. Haggai International, you've probably never heard of that ministry. Anybody in here heard of that ministry before? Is a ministry founded by John Edmund Haggai back in the 1960s. It's based in Atlanta, near where we used to live. And he felt that evangelism needed to also be another method other than just what most ministries and denominations do with missions. And so through prayer and study, he came up with the idea that he needed in non-Western countries, poor countries, to find educated Christians and train them with more spiritual and leadership principles so that they could go out and train others in their nation and through where God had placed them make a difference where they were. He felt like it could multiply the effectiveness of Christian training. Well, last year, one of his trainees became the president of Malawi, a nation in southeastern Africa between Zambia and Tanzania. Reflecting upon how his Haggai training will influence his policies, the new president said Malawi will now have a government that will serve its people, not just lead its people. Now let's say you've supported Haggai International over the years with $50 here or $50 there, thinking you might make some little small difference in some person's life who actually gets trained. Now, through that training and what God has brought to pass through the election process of that nation, you'll be making a difference in the lives of all of those people in Malawi because they're being impacted by a Christian leader. All, almost 20 million of them. Surely that's more than one would have thought or imagined. This is why Paul says in verses 12 and 13 that the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Because of the service which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Notice that Paul describes their giving as the ministry of this service. In the Greek, that's the diakonia of this letter, dia. Diakonia, the word from which we get our word deacon. 
the service of this worship, we might say. Liturgia, our word liturgy, worship. As one scholar put it, the combination of this terminology in verse 12 reflects Paul's conviction that giving to those Christians in need is an essential part of the ministry of the gospel and a genuine expression of worship. It's an essential part of the ministry of the gospel giving because that's what God did in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave His only begotten Son. And so you see, Paul is just picking up on what God has shown us through His own giving and using it for your example and my example as we're part of the church of Jesus Christ. He says the offering is a ministry of the gospel precisely because it brings about worship. And it brings worship as those blessed by it give thanks. Paul is calling upon the Corinthians and upon us to glorify God because He's so gracious and to have faith as we look to what He's done for us in the past and what He will also do in the future. And we always have to remember what the psalmist teaches in Psalm 24 when he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, which means that it all belongs to God. And if God owns everything, then whatever financial resources you and I have is a gift from Him. Freely given as an expression, not just of His graciousness unto us, but also as an expression of His commitment to us to take care of us. An expression of His commitment to us, just like this table is. That He's provided exactly what we need, spiritually speaking, through the gift of His Son who came to this earth and lived a perfect life and whose body was broken on the cross and whose blood was poured out for your sins and for my sins. Therefore, if we truly trust Him, that wealth that we've received from Him, those financial resources can be given away. Not grudgingly, but cheerfully. In order to bless others. If we truly realize the wonderful blessings we've already received, then it seems to me we'll have the inner disposition as well as the means necessary to be cheerful givers. And through faith, to be faithful givers. And that makes us work toward God. May He bless us to that end. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.